All right. So you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 13. And we're going through, this is the third, this is the third message in the, in the chapter, chapter 13. I think um, it's really important. I wanted to make sure we focused on this particular chapter because it's a really pivotal part of the growth of the church. Um, I might say some things tonight, and I know I'm being recorded, it might sound offensive. It might sound offensive. But what I'm, what I'm aiming to do is to try and see if we can prioritize what's important when it comes to church and, and, and shut some doors on what may not be what God sees as important when it comes to church. Now, I know um, a while back I used an illustration or I talked about an illustration where you, you cut in timber for, for a fence. And like the first timber is like, let's say it's 1,200 long. And then you use that one to cut the next one and then that one to cut the next one and then each, and each consecutive one to cut the next one. And eventually if you get, you know, 50 lengths um, cut, you end up with, you know, a compound error. Thanks. That's a great way of summarizing it. A compound error. So it's, it's really important to go back to the initial one. Now, I've got a good friend, um, Matt Patterson, who uh, he's, uh, he's a pastor of one of the local churches here. And uh, I, I, I value Matt's opinion and I, and I often meet up with Matt for prayer uh, and uh, discussion. Um, tomorrow, if you can, 5 p.m. at their church, a little plug, um, they're having a light up the night, uh, which is a positive alternative to Halloween. So if you know any kids, Go to that, 5 p.m., but also there's going to be a, 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 a time of prayer, um, like warfare prayer almost from the sounds of it, at 7.30. And it's down at Rick's Road. Is it Rick's Road? Is that what it's called? Rick's Road. Yeah, R-I-X. Um, yeah, an officer. Um, but, you know, if I was to go up to Matt and uh, have a meeting with him and say, look, Matt, um, by the way, if I was to go up to Matt this morning at their church service, and, uh, and say, Matt, can you get your, can you get your board, board together, please? I want to talk to you guys. And so they say, yeah, sure. We'll just get cuppers and we'll come and talk to you. So I've got something really important to say. So I'll say, Matt and all the other board members here, all right, I've got, I've got a vision for your church and a mission statement for your church. Here it is. And I share with them what I believe their vision is for their church and what their mission statement is for their church, what I think it should be. How do you think they would take that? So, yeah, it's hard to know. Matt would probably look at me and think, where's the punchline? <laughs> When's he going to say something funny? <laughs> but I kind of think, you know, when, um, when Jesus was walking the earth with his disciples one day, he, he asked them a question. He said, who do people say I am and so Peter Poyter the uh, disciples um, spokesman because <laughs> he was just the one who's you know obviously it was a yes man I don't know all the other fellows went nah Pete I'm not brave enough Pete he stood up and he goes well some people say that you're Elijah come back to life some people say that you're John the Baptist even or one of the prophets or you know um, but uh, Jesus said okay so you, who do you say I am? And what is Peter's fav famous words? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And Jesus then says to him these awesome words. This is the Ian paraphrase. Um, 
God's given you those words to say. Those words aren't your own. The Father's given you those words to say. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I sort of, I get, I get visions and mission statements. But, but I think it's really important that we remember Although we are a church in this region, as well as other churches in this region, we are actually part of his church. And he has, he has a vision and a mission already for his church. And, 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 and it's almost, sometimes I think it can be seen as offensive. I don't know, maybe it's just, maybe I don't think it's nice to say to Jesus, this is, this is what the mission of your church should be. Now, all of us have a, have a role to play in that mission. And I think every church, every individual little church has a role to play in that mission, specifically to a particular group of people or, or some kind of, you know, um, some particular strength in that community. Like you see that already in the Salvos. You know, what's the name the Salvos have? Are they Pentecostals? Are they, do they have fantastic drums and music? Some of them do, but no, they're, they're they're the, they're the social justice arm of the church, aren't they? You know, and, and Planet Shakers, what name do Planet Shakers have in our community? They're the ones that can connect with their young people. You know, like we, there's all these different flavors out there, but they're all, we're all part of his church, all right? We're all part of his church. You know why I think it's important to say that? Because every time we do church or be church or come to church or whatever you want to put it, he has to be the middle of it all. He has to be at the center of it all. Otherwise, it's not really church. Jesus actually has to be the center of it. So if we, I was really encouraged last Monday night, we had a leadership meeting and the last few leadership meetings we've had, it's been great to be able to hone in on, okay, what has God called us to do here? Or what are some things that we could possibly do here to reach the community? And, and in and of themselves, the things that we can do are great, but we need to make sure that Jesus is the center of it. Um, on that note, it's a blessing um, recently for me as I had a phone call the other day from um, a, uh, a member of the Healing Rooms team um, from Pakenham uh, from years ago, but I haven't contacted this team member for a while. And uh, we were talking about um, the possibility of a venue for a church and, and having healing rooms as, as, a, as a spot in that ven as a ministry that we could possibly do um, either in that venue or even after church services. And it's interesting, you know, that she just called me up the next day and said, I've been praying about healing rooms and God's just been reminding me that he's not done with healing rooms yet in Pakenham. And I'm like, thank you, God, <laughs> that'll do. I don't know all the details, but okay, he's in charge and he knows what he's doing. Here we have, if you've got your Bibles open, the, the, we're on the first missionary journey of, the, of, of um, Barnabas and Saul, the, the church, basically. It's the first missionary trip that the, that the early church did. And um, we're in chapter 13. And let's just open it up and have a read. Um, I'd like to look at verse 13, if that's all right. And it reads itself. It's a story. So let's uh, read along. I think I've got the NIV. I'm not sure. It'll become apparent. Um, from Paphos, remember that's where that sorcerer guy was last week we learned about, 
that and Sergius Paulus, the governor that gave his life to the, Jesus. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed. So that's Cyprus. And then they sailed north into uh, to Perga in, in Pamphylia, where John, John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So here they are. They've moved from leading Sergius Paulus to, to Jesus. They've moved from there. They've gone north, and they've entered, a, entered a, the port city, and one of their team has said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And that was John Mark. I'm not sure the details. He might have just been homesick. We have no idea. But he just went, no, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. So it was just Paul and Barnabas from then on. So they kept going into that area. In, in fact, this area that they go into, you can read all about it in your Bibles in a letter called Galatians. So this is where he goes. And they, it says there that they, they, um, they went to Pisidian Antioch, which is a different Antioch than the Antioch we learned last. There's like 15 Antiochs in the Roman Empire. Some stupid leader who was hell-bent on naming everything after his grandfather or something. So anyway, this was Pisidian Antioch. So they go in there on the Sabbath day and they enter in the synagogue. They go to familiar territory. They go to familiar territory and they speak. You know, um, when we go out into our community, we're going to go into familiar, familiar territory as well. Okay, so some of us, it's work. We're familiar. We know the people there. We know the language, the, the culture. Uh, for some of us, it's um, your neighbors. It's familiar territory for you to meet your neighbors and talk with them. It's comfortable. You know, some might be a sports team or school or classroom or, or something. Okay. And it's familiar territory. But there's people in that familiar territory that need Jesus. And you and I know that they need Jesus, but they don't need that. They don't know that. And I know that you want them to know Jesus. It might be your own actual family. You know, you might have kids or relatives that don't know Jesus, but you'd love for them to know Jesus. It's familiar territory, but what do we do? How do we do it? How do we speak? How do we speak Jesus into that area? Well, here Paul and Barnabas are given an opportunity. They go to this, they put themselves in the synagogue. They put themselves in the comfortable place. They join the local Rotary Club. Or they, they join the local men's shed or the, you know, they, they, they put their head over the fence or they stop the mower and they talk to their neighbor or they pull over their car on the side and help the person who needs the help. They put themselves in that position safely for an open door. And an open door comes to them. In fact, they get an open microphone. Paul and Barnabas are asked the question by the leader of the synagogue, hey, please come, would you come and give us some word of encouragement? It's like, that's an open door. So they're expecting Paul and Barnabas to come and say something normal, like something from the Old Testament. What happens? Paul picks up the microphone, so to speak, and he does. He starts talking common ground. He starts talking common ground. He doesn't start coming in with Jesus or, or the Bible. Actually, he does talk about the Bible. But, you know, like in our cult context, sometimes we feel like, well, I can't just talk to them about Jesus straight away. Don't. If, if common ground is talking about footy for six months, talk about footy. 
build that relationship. Get to know them. Invite them for dinner or something. Just get to know them. Talk with them. Common ground. Paul talks about common ground with these guys. He's, he knows where their common ground is. So he gets up and he talks about the history of the Jews. Standing up, Paul motioned and he said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. And he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he, uh, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So, and they're going, yeah, we understand this. Yeah, this is good. This is a good message. We understand it. It's comfortable. It's good. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people came up with a great plan. We want a king. So he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, and he ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Common ground. Just talking about common ground. This is just what we talk about. And then so far, everyone's going, yeah, this is great. I understand this. No worries at all. But this common ground is actually an introduction to Jesus. It might be gardening. Common ground might be gardening. You'd be like, wow, isn't it amazing how these plants grow? You just stick them in the ground and they just grow. How do they do that? Have you ever thought about a seed and how it sprouts? I don't know. You could just talk. You, you, got it, you can bring it back to God somehow, can't you, in gardening? I don't know about footy. I'm not sure. If you can bring it back, maybe you could talk about St. Kilda, why they're called St. Kilda. I don't know. Maybe it was some saint. I'm not sure. But I think it's really important that um, here, Paul is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's not like he has to try hard to do anything. He's actually just put himself in the position and it's the Holy Spirit that is actually giving him the ability and the, the creativity to enter into that atmosphere and common ground to bring the main point. So this introduction of the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament is really great if it points to Jesus. Preaching the Old Testament is really great if it points to Jesus. Running a food program is great if it points to Jesus. Evangelism is great if it points to Jesus. Church services are great if they point to Jesus. Being a chaplain is great if it points to Jesus. Being a nurse or a mum is great if it points to Jesus. Having children is great if they can point to Jesus. You know, it's about Jesus. So they, they, Paul goes on in verse 23. From this man's descendants, talking about David, God has brought to Israel the saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, though, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. See how he does that? He brings in Jesus, and then he goes back to something common to them. He just kind of throws in a little Jesus. But then he goes talks about John the Baptist. And they go, oh, we know John the Baptist. Yeah, he's a great Jew. As John was completing his work, he said, speaking of Jesus, who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me 
whose sandals I'm not worthy to, to untie. All right, so this is the lead up to John for, for Paul. Now he gets uncomfortable with them. He says, fellow children of Abraham, verse 26, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Wow, it's a pretty cool gospel message. He's like, common ground, introduction, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus' death his burial, his resurrection, and being witnessed after his resurrection. You know what? He, he's sharing the gospel with these people. He's sharing Jesus with these people. But he's not telling them, he's not sharing with them some, some um, ideologies to believe in or some doctrine to sign up to or some theology to um, agree to. He's actually just telling them facts that they already know about. You know what? We find it, I find it, you find it probably too. Like if you ever talk to someone in, about Jesus, a lot of people actually don't believe that Jesus was a real person. The facts of Jesus' life on earth even. Like they just think, well, that's just something that the Christians have made up. They made their own book up and it's just a whole big lie. But here in, in, here in, in Acts, Luke's reporting on, a, on an event that happened and Paul is not kind of trying to persuade them to believe that Jesus was an actual person. He's just trying to believe, get them to persuade them to believe something about Jesus that, that you and I need to know about Jesus as well. In fact, we already do know about Jesus. Not that he lived, not that he died on a cross, not that he was buried in a tomb, but that he rose again. And he's alive. Like he's actually alive. And he's alive in you and me through his Holy Spirit. He couldn't be alive in you and me through his Holy Spirit unless he died and was buried and rose again. Jesus said to his disciples, it's actually better for you that I go away and the Holy Spirit comes. Better. Now, this is where I might get offensive. <laughs> I just want to be honest. I'm actually really done. Like, I'm really done. I'm done with these emails that people send me, invite me to conferences to learn how to, Plant churches. Grow churches. They've got all the tricks. There's so many books. You go to Kurong. You go online. There's so many books written about this way to do this and that way to do that. And this worked over here and that's going to work over there. And that, that worked over there. So it's going to work over here. And all these people with all these great experiences and, and ideas, and they write them down. And I look at the stats. We looked at the, the census for Australia, the latest census. What's it saying about Christianity? It's going down. We've got more training. We're training up. We're having more seminars on, on how to do what we're supposed to do. But all the while, it's going down. And I look in the Bible. We've looked at 13 chapters of Acts already. And no one's, no one's purchased a property. And no one's written a book. 
They don't have it. They don't have a New Testament to read. They don't have a. They don't have a. They don't have their own property. They're actually. What do they have? Now, I'm not saying this, those things are bad. I'm saying they're they're good. But what do they have first? They're disciples under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're the power of God is with them because they're desperate. I think that's why we see a decline in the Western church more so than in the, in the uh, developing countries where the churches are in the developing countries or the persecuted churches. They're actually growing because people are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a danger that I think in the Western church, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to be critical because I, I don't know if I am a critical person, but it makes sense to me that, you know, um, there could be a little bit of a, I don't know, a little bit like the Pharisees, not Pharisees, Sadducees. Jesus came to the Sadducees one day and he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And I think the church in the West has forgotten the scriptures and the power of God. You go to a church these days and someone's opened the Bible and ask you to open your Bible, it's pretty rare. Like you expect it to be up on the screen. It's got it. Come on. Come on, pastor. Feed it to me. We're like little birds in a nest going, feed me, feed me, feed me. I mean, I, look, I don't mean to offend or anything, but I'm, I'm just conscious that we don't see that in, in the in the early church. In fact, this is the greatest, in fact, possibly the the most greatest revival of all time in Jesus's church is what we're reading these these last 13 chapters. The exponential growth that's taken place because men and women have just gone, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need you and you have me. And in fact, that's what chapter 13 is about. It starts off, this first missionary journey starts off with a prayer meeting that people are on their knees saying, give us an agenda, give us a plan, show us what to do. And in fact, we haven't gone to this yet, but talking about closed doors, open doors, they're so in tune with following the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in their life that Paul even says, I couldn't go to this place because the Holy Spirit said no. The Holy Spirit shut the door. So I didn't go there. Did they, did they still need Jesus? Probably, but it just wasn't the right time. So it's really important to be disciples under the influence. And here we have disciples under the influence, being used by Jesus, being used by Jesus, influenced by his Holy Spirit to do great things. They've gone to this synagogue. They've shared about the death, burial, resurrection and witness of Jesus Christ. And he says to them in verse 32, this is what it is. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he quotes a number of other scriptures elsewhere about the resurrection of Jesus. How are we introducing people to Jesus? I don't want to be a, I don't I don't want to be a pastor in a church here or in Sylvan or anywhere. In fact, I don't want to go preach anywhere where someone says at the end, that was that's a great church. That that guy's a great speaker. You know, the, the best thing about that church is that worship 
that's great, you know? Like, I want people to go leave this place going, I'm not sure what it is, but when I'm in that room with those people, God's there. I'm not sure what it is. It doesn't make sense to me, but God's in that place and he's doing something. I want to be a part of it. And you, you, you find that, like if, if, if we're desperate enough, you're desperate enough, I'm desperate enough, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and I love, I love how God has brought people around Sonia and I and Dale and Rose here in, in this church that are quality disciples of Christ. And I can't wait to see what happens in this region, let alone the state, when, when the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of you and I and what he wants to do in this region. I can't wait, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm just ministering to him and I'm saying, Lord, it's all about you. I'm fasting and praying, fasting and praying. It's not about me. It's not about the plans. It's still about you and it's about your presence. It's about your power. And it's about people coming to know Jesus. This is the important thing about the message that Paul says here. He says, this is about Jesus. This is the good news. That Jesus is alive. And then he talks about why Jesus is, is important. Why, why Jesus being alive is important. In verse 38, says there, he says, Therefore, my friends... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Sometimes you can go to church and not even hear anyone talk about sin. Through him, it's through him, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It's not through Moses, it's not through the Old Testament, it's not through the sacrifices, it's not through, it's not through any of your goodness, your good deeds or nothing. It's just through him. It's just through Jesus. Forgiveness of sin through Jesus. It's amazing. It's grace. It's beautiful. And he says, through him, verse 39, through him who believes is set free. Sorry, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Justified. You know what justified means? It's a legal term that means as if you've never sinned. You're actually made right in his eyes. Just because of believing in Jesus. That's something that we can all be thankful. Thinking of talking about blessings, isn't that something we can all be thankful for? And the Holy Spirit, the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit, not just in Acts, but in your life and my life, is that whenever we focus on something that points to Jesus, he says, I like that. I like that idea. Because he, his job is to actually promote what Jesus wants to do. And so if, if you and I are uh, doing something or saying, or speaking Jesus in our community, or in our, in our context, um, in our um, common ground, if we're speaking Jesus with our actions, with our reactions, the way we handle our money, our finances, the way we talk to our neighbours, the way we react to our family, the way that we actually talk to them about God and Jesus and heaven and forgiveness, if that, if that goes that far, then the Holy Spirit actually backs us up. He'll back you up. 
And you'll probably find that he's actually been working in that person's life all along. Here's an example. Gaza, next door to us. Oh my goodness. District conference that we had over the other side of town. That night, that Saturday night, it was a great night. I got a position of leadership and power and domination, whatever, if that's a word. <laughs> and, and anyway, no, I wasn't feeling like that, but I was feeling really good. I was feeling like, well, okay, maybe God wants to use me to help. And so I was feeling really good. My family came and it was really great. We, we drove all the way back home again and we got home and Nala, our little puppy dog, well, she's not so little, she was in the side yard closest to Gary and Cherie. And she was going nuts. Anyway, I went out there to shut her up. And when I did, someone yells out over the fence, this is 11 o'clock at night. He's not happy. Not happy at all. Got a few under his belt, so that doesn't help the situation. But he was going off. You're a priest. Aren't you a priest? Get a hold of your dog. Da, da, da. All these accusations, so many accusations, and I'm trying to calm him down. Stupid idea. Come over here. I said, oh, can we talk tomorrow morning? No, I want to talk now. Anyway, I just left it. I said, look, I'm so sorry. I'm going to bed. Left it. The next day was Sunday. I went over there. The wife was there. So I talked to the wife. I said, look, I'm really sorry. And she said, because he was talking about police coming over for the dog. And, and I said, look, I'm so sorry. She said, no, there were no police. He was just, he's just going through some stuff. And, uh, and I understood that because he is. He's, you know, he had a motorcycle accident and he's going through some stuff. So anyway, um, we left it at that. And um, the following weekend, I went over um, to his house because uh, something had fallen down off of their fence. So I went around there and, and uh, spoke to him and apologized for the dog. And he, he was the same as his wife. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I've just got some issues. I'm going through some stuff. I don't even remember half of what I said. Um, and I said, can I, can I help you with your fence? And he said, yeah, actually, that'd be nice. And so we had a good old time together. I helped him with the fence. He showed me his motorcycle, like this old motorcycle. We talked and talked and talked. And I found out that he was in an Anglican church boys choir. He's got history with God. You know, and, 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 and often when there's an open door, there will be opposition, just like we learned last week. But if we continue to trust the Holy Spirit and be influenced by him and step into those um, common ground situations and ask him for help, he'll actually come through and he's already been working in that person's life already, more than you probably realize it. That's just one example. And so he says here, in verse 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. That's the way of forgiveness. And it all makes sense in the person of Jesus. He doesn't say, come to church and you'll be forgiven. He doesn't say, come to Bible study and you'll be forgiven. Those are good things. 
He doesn't say, get baptized and you'll be forgiven, or just believe God exists, you'll be forgiven. He says, this is Jesus. You've got to come to Jesus and believe in him. It's through Jesus, only Jesus. And he does something really, really interesting. Because you think he'd close out the deal and, you know, have an altar call, you know, and, and invite people up the front. This is your moment. If God's speaking to you right now. I want you to invite you up the front right now. If God's speaking to you, if your heart's pumping in your chest, this is your moment. Come up the front now. He doesn't do that. Have a look what he does in verse 40. He actually says, he actually leaves it. He leaves it. He says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And he quotes this passage from Habakkuk 1.5. And it says, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He's saying, be careful you're not a scoffer who's looking at the facts and not believing. Be careful that you're not one of them. And he just leaves it. He's like, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus died for your sins. And, you know, it's up to you. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to force you to do anything. No one's forcing you to go to church. No one's forcing you to have faith in Jesus. This is just what I believe and I'm sharing it with you. And he leaves it. In fact, it says here in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. It's almost like he just gave them hors d'oeuvres. And they wanted more. They got a taste of the goodness of God in Jesus. And they wanted more. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. I think it's really important that we finish on that verse because it's about the grace of God. We're not trying to make anyone feel guilty and stay in guilt. We're trying to, we're, we're actually trying to just, it's, I heard it's, someone say once, it's just, you know, sharing about Jesus with somebody is basically just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. That's it. Like, it's like, well, I, I was, you know, your story is actually the best thing you can share with people about Jesus and leading them to Jesus. Your story about how Jesus came in to your story in your life. That's the best thing you can do. So, where, do, where does that leave you and me tonight? What's, what's the Lord saying to us? What's he, what's he really saying to us? What's he, what's he saying? I don't know about you, but for me, I think sometimes, sometimes we just have to get back to Jesus. Like, I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's really just true. Like when um, we just have to get back to Je before the music starts, we just have to get back to Jesus. Before church service starts, we just have to get back to Jesus. Before you know it, anything, it's it's it, we just have to just come before Him and just follow Him and trust Him every day. Back to what he said. What did he say about church? What did he say about other people? What did he say about God? What does he say about forgiveness? Let's get back to Jesus.
Because I think he had something to say. And I like how he used these two men, Paul and Barnabas, because they were men who weren't part of his 12 disciples. But they were, they were men who were like, you know what? I got nothing. I just, I, just, I, just, I just love Jesus. He saved my life. He forgave my sins. And all of my life is his. Hmm. Why don't we pray? I'd like to pray. Actually, I'd like to pray with you. How about we pray for, um, how about we pray for the people in our community to come to know Jesus? How about we do that together? I might lead us in prayer. Uh, and yeah, let's, and if you want to pray too, you can do that. Father, Father, we come to you tonight. We're thankful that you are a God who stepped out of your comfort zone and you sent Jesus into this world. You became one of us, Lord Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that you became sin for us on the cross. And Jesus, we just love you for that. We love that you represented God to us. We love that we can read about who God is by just looking at your life and reading about your life. But Lord, more than that, just text on a page, we thank you that you're alive. You're right here and you're right now. And you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords. And that fact is never going to change. You're alive. You're resurrected. You have power. You're the name that's above every name. And you promised to send your Holy Spirit upon all who believe. In fact, you said it, it was better that you were to go. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much that we can live in dependence upon your power. Lord, help us to be people of your word and people of your power. Help us, God, to trust you and to be obedient to when you speak. Lord, I thank you for the leadership of this church. And I thank you for what you've been saying in us and through us, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose. And we're so humbled and privileged to be in this space where we have nothing to come to you with except our own hearts and a desire to see you at work in the people in our community. Lord, we bring them to you, God. We pray that you would have your way, that there'd be nothing that stops the gospel from getting into this community that there'd be men and women and families hearing about Jesus and the forgiveness of sin that he offers, that you offer to us because of your death on the cross for us. We're so thankful, Lord. We sang about you're the man of sorrows. You paid the debt. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for that. Help that thanks to overflow in our conversations this week. Help us to be mindful, Lord, as we discuss things with friends and neighbours and, and relatives. Help us to be mindful of your presence with us and your, your guiding us, Lord, in those conversations. And help us to be mindful that you've been working that person's life too. Help us to partner you in your work in this place, that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love for the people in Pakenham. And we pray that we might be people who reflect you to the people that we meet this week, just like Jesus did while he was here on earth. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. I pray your blessing, Lord, upon each person in this room and those listening to the sound of my voice, that your Holy Spirit, we invite your Holy Spirit to influence us, to fill us, to fill us, Lord, 
and, 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 and empower us to trust you, Lord, and to live for you, God. In humility, in genuineness, in authentic people, nothing flash, nothing fancy, but just people that are surrendered to you and that you can get all the glory and you can do all the, all the powerful work you want to do in this place, in us and through us. I praise you and thank you for what you're already doing. In Jesus' name.